Welcome back to The Jacob Wool Show. We've got a lot of news to talk about today. Elon Musk closing the Twitter deal, taking control of the company as of tomorrow, Friday. Uh, the final preparations are being made. He visited the headquarters. We're going to get into that. Uh, we have a breaking report out, though, first, that U.S. GDP grew 2.6% in the third quarter, uh, doing so as consumer and business spending cooled. Uh, a sign that inflation is still taking its toll throughout the economy. Uh, did the economy really grow at 2.6%? Is that true? Well, uh, I don't have any reason to doubt the numbers as of now, but what we know is that there is a history of uh, the government coming out with more favorable, uh, let's say, GDP numbers before midterms, and then those numbers being revised down after the election. That could very well be the case here. Uh, we don't know for sure. It's hard to say, uh, but uh, that is uh, something that we need to be cognizant of, that these numbers may in fact be uh, off, that they may not be exactly what they look like. Uh, so that is uh, the latest out when it comes to the economy, uh, That those numbers out today. Uh, disparate effects throughout the stock market. Tech really taking a bath here as of late. And so, uh, you know, we're going to get into Facebook, what is happening there, and, uh, and and get into all of that here on today's show. So it's so great to have you. Uh, if you're watching live here on YouTube, uh, or if you're listening later on, on podcast apps everywhere. But first things first, uh, talking about this Elon Musk acquisition of Twitter. You recall that when this first hit the wires in April, I think it was April, uh, I said it's probably going to take something like six months to close. And here we are in October, and we are uh, closing in here in the last week of October, last business week of October here. Uh, so it is finally coming to fruition. Uh, my good friend, good friend of the show, Ali Alexander, was the first to report this week that uh, Musk will not only be acquiring Twitter, but he will also be managing the company. He will be the uh, CEO of Twitter. That is now out. Uh, that is now uh, official. Uh, so Elon Musk will also be the uh, CEO of Twitter along with uh, owning the company. This may be the largest, by the way, the largest uh, acquisition of a company uh, that has ever been undertaken by an individual. Uh, it may be the largest one ever uh, by an individual. I'm not sure if that's uh, in fact the case, but uh, for one man to come up, raise this kind of financing and buy this company is is pretty remarkable uh, and I think possibly unprecedented. Now, of course, we're all hopeful that Elon Musk will reverse Twitter's campaign of censorship, that he will, re that he will restore uh, the accounts of people like me, people like Laura Loomer, Milo Yiannopoulos, Alex Jones, so many others that have been banned, uh, former President Donald Trump, of course, so many people who have been censored, who have been wiped off of Twitter, which is the public square. There is no credible alternative. Uh, alternatives which have come out have been stifled by anti-competitive business practices by the big tech cartel, by people like Twitter, by Apple, by Amazon shutting down their servers and all of that. It is a very anti-competitive environment in Silicon Valley. Microsoft is one of the, the worst companies when it comes to anti-competitive business practices. But what uh, the FTC, what Joe Biden's FTC is more concerned about is whether or not Amazon should be allowed to buy Roomba. 
the little vacuum that goes on your floor and bumps into the walls and vacuums around on its own. Uh, they're trying to block Amazon ac uh, Amazon's acquisition of Roomba. If you can believe that. So it is really a, a remarkable thing to watch. Uh, the the, the anti-competitive business practices in Silicon Valley, the way that there has been no credible alternative that has come to the fore. We're going to talk about one of them, Truth Social. I've got a new article out in my Substack about Truth Social and some of the things that I have witnessed uh, when it comes to Truth Social. So there's a report out here first, and, and we're going to get into the Truth Social situation, but uh, this is a brand new report, a breaking report. There was a lot of today's show being written kind of at the last minute because the news was coming in so quickly. Uh, but this brand new exclusive report from the Wall Street Journal is titled, Elon Musk says Twitter won't be free for all hellscape. Addressing advertisers' uh, concerns, uh, marketers worry. The Tesla CEO's stance on content moderation, potential conflicts, and auto advertising if the Twitter deal completes. <clears throat> so this is apparently their issue. Now, uh, I have never seen a car advertised on Twitter. I, I presume that perhaps auto companies do advertise on Twitter. I've never seen it. Um, one thing we do know is that uh, Tesla does not really advertise directly, at least as far as I know, last time I checked in on that. Now, would he raise prices on other cars? Perhaps. I, I don't know. I don't know that people that buy Teslas are really comparing those cars to potential other cars. I, I think they're pretty uh, narrow-minded when it comes to their choice on buying a Tesla for the most part. But that is one thing that these uh, ad agency executives are saying to the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the report says here, Elon Musk is expected to complete a takeover of Twitter this week, barring a last-minute snag. Madison Avenue isn't sold on the deal. Well, you know, the thing about Madison Avenue is that they don't have to be sold on the deal. They're not relevant here. Now, listen to some of these uh, advertising executives. Now, one of the things you have to know is that Madison Avenue is hurting right now. The advertising business is hurting right now because across the board, all the smart companies are cutting spending. They're laying off superfluous, uh, uh, superfluous staff. I don't know why that got hung up there. Uh, they are, are laying off employees they don't need. Uh, they are uh, cutting expenses. And one of the first things that they tend to cut is their advertising budget. That is one of the first things that uh, big companies cut, smart companies cut when uh, they face an environment like this one. They cut advertising. And so uh, we go here to the report. It says, Mr. Musk said this spring that as owner of Twitter, he would reinstate former President Donald Trump's account, which the platform suspended indefinitely after linking Mr. Trump's comments to the January 6th Capitol riot. That would be a red line for some brands, said Keeley Taylor global head of partnerships at Group M, a leading ad buying agency that represents blue chip brands. Now, I don't know of any blue chip brand that does a, a serious portion of their advertising spending on the Twitter app. If you look at all the different advertising they do, Twitter would make up a very small percentage of it. Uh, about a dozen of Group M's clients, which own an array of well-known consumer brands, have told the agency to pause all their ads on Twitter if Mr. Trump's account is reinstated, Ms. Taylor said. Others are in wait-and-see mode. Ms. Taylor says she expects to hear from many more clients if Mr. Trump's account returns. 
That doesn't mean that we won't be entertaining lots of emails and phone calls as soon as the transaction goes through, Ms. Taylor said. I anticipate we'll be busy. Uh, in a message to advertisers on Twitter on Thursday, Mr. Musk said that he was buying the company to have a common digital town square where a wide range of beliefs can be debated in a healthier manner. He said Twitter cannot become a free-for-all hellscape where anything can be said with no consequences. Mr. Musk said in addition to following laws, Twitter must be a warm and welcoming place for all. Okay, so this is what Elon Musk says. Now, he mentions following laws, and, and that is not by accident because at Twitter, while they have spent so much time banning people like me, banning people like Alex Jones, banning people like the former president, Donald Trump, uh, who was still the president when they banned him, they have not addressed an issue of downright illegal content on their site. Yes, there is some content that is actually illegal. There is some content which is actually uh, not allowed under federal and state laws, uh, namely child pornography. Uh, the Twitter website, uh, and, and hopefully you have never had the uh, misfortune of having to see some of these disturbing, sickening images and, and videos on Twitter's site, but rest assured, Twitter is filled with child pornography. Now, uh, if you leave on their safe search settings or, or whatever they call them uh, where you won't see those explicit uh, images, you won't see that uh, kind of child exploitation material, nor will you see uh, any pornography for the most part. It, it tends to be pretty good at filtering that out. But you should know that, that Twitter servers are full of it. Now, something Ali Alexander was talking about on a recent uh, kind of a voice chat going on on an app that he and I have been experimenting with called Colin. It's kind of a remake of Clubhouse, which sort of died because it was just filled with so many freaking lunatics. I mean, black identitarian extremists, uh, militant vegans, uh, you know, uh, dinosaur attracted persons. I, I don't know. It was just filled with all kinds of bizarre freaks. That's It became a freak show. So, so Clubhouse died. This is sort of a remake of that. Uh, it seems to be working okay. Uh, working out some kinks technically, but it seems to be okay. I, I've done a few there. But well, what he was saying is that Twitter is unique in that Twitter maintains their own servers. They don't subcontract out their servers, and they've done this for a long time. So Twitter is a company which literally has uh, illegal content in droves on their own servers. Now, uh, nobody is saying or suggesting that uh, Twitter as a company which allows people to sign up and post, at least as long as they're not me, uh, is going to uh, be 100% free of all illegal content all of the time. It's just not possible for that to be the case. But what we do know is that the site has allowed child pornography, child exploitation material, videos of children being tortured, uh, ads for children uh, who are being trafficked, they have allowed that content to absolutely run rampant, run rampant on their servers. Now, you know, part of the issue is that they allow any pornography at all. Because if you get into a world where a website like Twitter is allowing uh, pornographic content, once you cross that bridge, well, you know, then the next bridge is, how how do you then sort all that out? 
because if you allow, you know, what the, I call it AI or machine learning or, or whatever, whatever they're programming can determine is a pornographic image. So it's not usually a person reviewing it, although they do have uh, Indian subcontractors overseas and some onshore who do review content manually. Uh, but a lot of this is flagged by machines. It's flagged by the code. Once you get into a world where you're allowing any kind of pornography on a website like Twitter, now the question is, well, they aren't a porn site, okay? It's not like they're OnlyFans and people are signing up to post pornography. And so therefore, OnlyFans and, and other sites like this, uh, in in uh, an effort to uh, frankly, cover their own asses are, are, are having people verify with state-issued ID, hold up the ID next to the face, all this stuff to verify. Twitter doesn't do that because they aren't a porn site. They're not in that business. So if they allow pornography on the site, well, then how do you have any confidence that every single girl, every single uh, male, female, whatever, who is who is being posted in the nude or being posted engaging in sex acts is certainly above the age of 18. How do you know exactly? Now, I mean, there's going to be the some cases where it's a nine-year-old, it's a 10-year-old. I mean, it's unambiguous. But you don't know. The answer is you don't know. And it, and it just doesn't make any sense from a business standpoint why Twitter, as a heretofore publicly traded company for a long time, has, has allowed this stuff on their servers, this filth, but they do. And their, their servers are filled with it. And if you don't see it in your timeline, I don't see it in my timeline. I mean, thank God, but but let me assure you, uh, it, it is just rampant. It's out of control. It's everywhere. And so you have to be, uh, you know, very, very cognizant of that. And and it is something that I know Elon Musk is looking at. Um, it is it is that kind of situation. Somebody says here live in the chat, uh, they write, how would you bring in revenue with Twitter? I assume that people there are already uh, tried most of the obvious stuff. Well, I don't know that they have tried most of the obvious stuff. For instance, I have never seen, now I don't, anytime I've had the Twitter app, I don't give them permission to, you know, siphon data out of other apps on my phone and do all that stuff. Okay. So part of it's my fault, but I have never seen ads on Twitter, which are targeted to me very well. I mean, like I, I would get ads for like the NFL and, and I am the absolute last person who should be shown ads for the NFL? I don't even look at them. I, I scroll past. I don't even stop and look. In fact, I, I avoid like all hell to th these kind of ads. Now, maybe if I gave them access to more data, I'd get better targeted ads. But the point is, even with just the data they would have on someone like me within the app, they should be able to do a better job at showing you decent ads. So part of it is uh, Twitter, despite having some 7,500 employees, many of which Elon Musk intends to lay off, they don't seem to be very good at uh, ad targeting the way that, say, Facebook, Instagram, Google uh, seem to be good at it, or at least better than, uh, say, a baseline of random ads or, or pure demographic, you know, uh, uh, location, age, uh, gender ads. So uh, that is what's happening. Now, this photo, if you're watching live, this is a photo that emerged of Elon Musk on his first visit to Twitter. You see the CEO there, Parag Agawal. Uh, he will presumably be canned very shortly. Uh, in the background of this image, and if you're listening, you can't see it. I, I apologize. But in the background, you've probably seen it online, is um, that uh, trust and safety woman. I'm not even going to try to pronounce her name. 
She's the one who uh, made the call to ban me. And, and you can see her face. You can see just the, the utter contempt. You know what it is? And, and even the, the guy behind her, you can see that look of utter hate and contempt uh, looking at Elon Musk. It is the look of all those Obama staffers who were standing outside pouting, literally pouting like little children, when Donald Trump came to the White House as president-elect to get a tour from Obama. If you remember that famous photo, you got Valerie Jarrett and all those people standing outside and they're, and they're pouting and they're scowling. Uh, that's what this image looks like. So you have total recalcitrance on the part of the current executives at Twitter. I've seen posts from multiple employees uh, basically taunting Elon Musk and saying, you're not going to lay me off or I'm going to sue you, you son of a bitch. And it's just all of this stuff. Uh, these people need to be fired in a hurry. Uh, these are the people who destroyed Twitter. I mean, the, the, the entitlement of these people, you think about this, the entitlement of somebody to say, you're not going to lay me off, you're not going to dare replace me, when they are people who, who work at a company, who contribute to a company or don't, and run a company where the stock price has done nothing since 2013. Twitter stock has been stagnant since 2013. I mean, it's gone up a little bit, it's gone down, but it has effectively been in the same place that it was in 2013. Meanwhile, every other tech company has soared. I mean, even if the tech company was a garbage company, it's gone through the roof and, and, and thrown off tons of cash in the process, but not Twitter. Twitter has, has fundamentally uh, screwed up. They have done a poor job managing this company, and yet they are so... Uh, unbelievably entitled. And they, they look at Elon Musk with contempt. It's uh, it's really quite a thing. Uh, it says Maybach doesn't advertise either. That's part of being a luxury brand. Yeah, it's part of being exclusive. It's like, you know, we're not advertising to the mass market because we don't even make enough cars for the mass market to buy. That's part of it. And, 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 and part of it is that I think there's been a determination that the people who tend to buy $200,000 cars, for instance, um, they don't tend to watch a lot of TV, at least as far as the studies I've seen. Um, they, When they do advertise, when these brands do advertise, they pick their spots very carefully. They advertise in places like uh, CNBC, which is generally thought of as having a uh, kind of a high income audience. Um, Fox Business, not as much. CNBC, Bloomberg, online, digital, TV, um, you know, Rob Report, uh, these kind of magazines, uh, yacht magazines, uh, you know, th things you would think probably it's rich people reading them. Whether that's actually true or not, uh, it, it kind of remains to be seen, and I've seen mixed mixed uh, data on. So that's kind of what they, what they tend to do here, uh, going back and forth here in the chat. So this is what's happening. Uh, you know, I, I think the bigger question is this, though. I, I mean, beyond pressure that, he's, that, that Elon Musk is going to receive from advertisers, the, the bigger question is, is Elon Musk going to do what he's promised to do? Now, you know, on the one hand, I have to think he will. Because what use would it be to spend like virtually all of his liquid net worth and then some? You know, he's got loans coming in from different people. He's got a billion or two billion or four billion from Larry Ellison. He texted Larry Ellison, said, hey, I could use a couple of billion dollars. Larry Ellison says, sure. I mean, imagine having those kind of relationships. I mean, those are hard-won relationships, obviously. You don't, uh, that's not uh, merely luck. It's not, you know, merely 
uh, who you know. Like I, I've always seen, you know, you ever notice kind of you like moronic people usually not or just, you know, not so bright people will say it's not what you know, it's who you know. No, it's 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 both. If you're some dullard, then people like Larry Ellison aren't going to know you and you're not going to know them. And if it is some situation where you're a dullard, but like your dad's friends with them, it's not going to matter. Yeah, yeah, they'll give you some token job or something, but you're not going to be respected. You're not going to be somebody who is depended on by these people. If you want to have the who you know part down, it begins with the what you know part. It's, it's, the, it's the dumbest concept ever that people think, oh, I shouldn't spend my time on the what I know part. I shouldn't spend my time building capabilities, gaining knowledge. No, no. Instead, I should just go to networking events. Well, guess who goes to networking events? People that are desperate for a network. People who haven't earned a network on their merits. That's who goes to networking events for the most part. So if you go to a networking event, you know, uh, something that, that purports to be a networking mixer, almost without exception, what you will find are a bunch of people who desperately want a network, who, who in earnest think that that's really what they need to succeed. And, and who want something out of that network. They don't just want to know you. They want something from you. A job, money, an investment, another connection, another node on your network. But in almost every case, they have nothing to offer. That is what you find at ostensible networking events, just, just so you know. But oh my God, I mean, you imagine the, 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 the relationships and it's just, it's something that you don't normally get to see. But the reason that we saw it is that is that, you know, basically uh, uh, there was some litigation and discovery and the text came out uh, in discovery. Uh, this person says you have to make your own opportunities. Uh, I agree. Uh, this is from the live chat here, those watching live on YouTube. Um, imagine holding a useless stock for seven years as a 2015 to now Twitter employee. Elon is providing you a premium liquidation point. You know, that's true too. And I'd be remiss not to point out that these people are going to be rich based upon Elon's acquisition. Now, you know, the stock is one thing. Yeah, they're going to get stock. Um, they've gotten a bunch of free stock. Usually they've gotten options. Now, you know, those options are not necessarily uh, worth much absent Elon's acquisition. Now they are uh, because the price hasn't done much. Uh, but you, you have a bunch of people here who are going to be cashed out of their stock at a time when the whole rest of the market and probably would be the case with this stock are not doing well. They're going to be cashed out at a great price point. They're probably even beyond the fact that they're going to be cashed out of their stock. They probably have other golden parachute arrangements within their employment contracts. And so what will probably happen is that they'll also get other monies and other uh, remuneration over time, uh, perhaps health care for three years, four years. These people always have these kind of golden parachutes worked out because if you want to recruit the top, top executives in that world, you have to promise them these kind of things. So I want to take a look here, though, because, you know, there's this whole idea of truth social and, you know, is Trump is Trump going to come back to Twitter if Elon Musk lets him? Uh, Trump has said that he will not, that he will only be on Truth Social. We know that in the first few months of Truth Social being out, Trump didn't even really use it, hardly used it at all. But, and I hate to, I hate to do this. I, ha I had to write this article this morning 
Uh, and we're going to go back to some Twitter news here. But I, I had to write this this morning just because it was it was so surprising. So I, I've been a user of Truth Social from the very beginning. I was invited to the app before it came out, months before it came out, set everything up, um, before it even was announced publicly at all, much less was available to the public. The, the, the launch was kind of botched, obviously, for a whole host of reasons. I'm not saying they don't have excuses. And, and, I, and I praise the noble effort of, of trying to put up competition. But let me tell you what I, what I saw this morning. So I don't normally go on Truth Social and just look around because I just almost never see anything that I like that I'd like to see. I don't see interesting commentary. I don't see, um, you know, breaking news about trending, breaking topics. I just never open up that app and say, "Wow, that's great." If I do, it's like a post from one of my friends who I already saw the post on another app anyway. So I don't consume on Truth Social. I just don't. I don't get a lot of great comments on that site. By the way, totally different from Telegram. You know, Telegram, despite being small. I browse Telegram. Telegram can be better than Twitter for a lot of topics, really, if you subscribe to the right channels and sort them out properly. Uh, Telegram can be great. But on a whim, on a whim this morning, I saw a post from former Congressman Devin Nunes. Uh, he is the CEO of Truth Social. Why he would be recruited as a CEO of something like this, I don't know. I mean, there's the obvious reasons, but he doesn't have the requisite experience for something like this. And even if he did, he'd be rusty if just coming out of Congress. And so... I, I went on and I looked at Devin Nunez's comments. What, what, what were the comments on one of his posts? And the post had been up for about 12 hours. It had like 35 or 40 comments. And, and, and Devin Nunez, his profile says he's got 1.04 or something million followers. That's a lot of followers, okay? So I click on the comments of the post, and it was uh, almost entirely, almost entirely, bots. I mean, almost entirely bots. I think I saw, you know, out of the 40, maybe three genuine comments out of 40. Okay. The rest were bots. They were spam bots. Now, perhaps even more interestingly is that there were some proportion of those comments, which were, which were spam bots that were aiming to sell something, you know, and it's always some you know, tacky product, if it's even real at all. It's just some tack. It's like some, you know, gold-plated Chinese pot metal uh, Trump commemorative coin, or it's, you know, some fluoride-free toothpaste, or it's, uh, you know, it's always one of those things. It, I mean, it's, it's never a, a spam bot telling you to go buy a BMW, okay? It's just, it's just not. They don't use spam bots to uh, advertise, typically. Blue chip brands don't. They do it sometimes. Um, not a whole lot, okay? Because it doesn't help, and, and it actually will hurt the rankings of some of their other stuff. But that was like a small proportion, okay? Many more of these bots were not trying to sell anything on Truth Social through these spam comments. They were just trying to look like real users. They were just trying to look like real users. They weren't actually trying to sell anything. Okay, so now the question comes up is uh, we have to think, okay, well, well, who uh, who is uh, setting up those bot networks? Who is paying for it? Now, 
you know, on one hand, there is the uh, issue of, uh, you know, leftist networks that put up bots and, and you can spot those and, and they're trying to either uh, promote left-wing ideas or promote right-wing ideas in a way that looks nuts. Okay, well, that's possible, but not to the tune of the way it's seen on here, not to that scale, okay? What I speculate is that some portion of these bots who are doing nothing, they're not selling anything, they're just trying to look like real users. I would estimate that a small proportion probably belong to either left-wing networks or foreign governments. I would say that's a small number because you're just not going to spend a lot of resources to go after, say, Truth Social because you aren't going to persuade anyone who's using Truth Social to vote for Democrats or to stay home and not vote for Republicans. These, these are the most ardent uh, Republicans in the country who use Truth Social because it's been challenging even to sign up for the site. So that's a small number. Okay, now, now based on the way that sign up has even worked for this website, based on the fact that it hasn't been something that you can just very easily sign up for, and certainly not very easily sign up for 20, 30, 40 accounts at once. The only thing that could make sense is that it is Truth Social, its executors, agents, executives, employees, associated persons, who have set up this bot network for the purpose of creating the illusion that the site has more active users than it does. Now, like I said, I, I'm not making an accusation. I'm just saying it's the only thing here that could make sense. You know, m most websites are trying to get rid of bots. They're using measures that say, look, this guy has commented the exact same comment on 30 posts within the last 30 seconds. Huh, maybe it's a spam bot. Ban. They say, well, let's cross-reference. This looks a little odd. Oh, wait a second. That exact phone number has signed up for 80 accounts within the past eight minutes. Bing, gone. But there have been situations where certain apps, it's happened in the dating app world, it's happened in other software industries. What happens is that people go and they set up bot networks to create the illusion that they have more users than they actually have in order to go out into you know, the, the private investment market, the public equity market, the SPAC market, the uh, you know, world of, of venture capital, private equity, wherever they're going and try to raise monies and saying, look, we have a million users, when in fact they have 30,000 active users. I mean, everybody pumps up their active user number, but some people do so in a way which is fraudulent, criminal, perhaps, um, dishonest, tacky. I don't know for sure that that is what is going on here. I do know that there's an SEC whistleblower complaint. I don't put a lot of stock in that necessarily. Uh, that would seem to suggest that something along those lines may be going on there. I, I just don't know. I, I can't wait what, a, what that whistleblower report should show. The point is, SEC pays whistleblowers. So people come out and say things in an attempt to get a whistleblower award from the SEC that, you know, it basically motivates people to say things and a lot of times they're not true, okay? But what I do know is this. With my own eyes and my, and my own account, I can, I can scroll through on Truth Social and see that the thing is like mostly bots. 
that there is almost no real organic engagement anywhere on that site to be had. Not just in my comments. In fact, my comments seem to be pretty light on anything. But I mean, in the comments of people that allegedly have a million followers, a million and a half followers, go look at Dinesh D'Souza's comments on Truth Social. It's, it's a horror show. It's an absolute horror show. Now, the real engagement that is there that, you know, is, is obviously real. It's a real account, real name, you know, or, or at least it, it has no hallmarks of being a bot, no signs of being a bot. In those cases, man, it's like 90% of the time, it is the most inane, boomer, rube, sloganeering that you have ever seen. I mean, it's, it's just like, wow, I'm glad I read that comment. I really learned something. Not. I mean, you just never see it. So, look, uh, SEC is currently investigating Truth Social. We'll see what happens. What I can tell you is that the, the, the platform's shot. Uh, as a platform, there's no competitive advantage to using it versus using something else. It erroneously censors a lot of stuff, for one thing. So, I praise the effort, but it is uh, not useful. Um, this person says, how do you even look for people on Truth Social? Because I can't find anyone's account. Yeah, that's true. It, it hardly works. Um, I don't even personally uh, know. I don't know anyone personally who uses Truth Social. Yeah, neither do I. But apparently there's millions of people who use it. it it's kind of like Rumble. And there's some relationship between Rumble and Truth Social. Rumble claims to have like 40 million monthly active users. And at any given time, if you go on their site, and you look at live streams, they have 30 views. I mean, and these are the live streams that are the, 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 the that are promoted to the very front page of that website, okay? Um, if it, you have videos that are promoted to the front page of the website, and they're oftentimes sent out via email with spam emails to people, they have 38 views, 162 views, 600 views. In fact, my most viewed video on Rumble uh, have have these videos have been related to Predator DC, and the reason they're viewed is because we went out and put up tens of thousands of of posters around Washington DC with a QR code that brought people to the Rumble link. And the only reason those people used Rumble is because they clicked the QR code they saw on a poster, a, a paper eight by eleven poster that we put up. Otherwise, they never would have been there. And so. You look at Rumble and it's like why, you know, I, I just stopped bothering to like convert the videos now and take an extra hour out of my afternoon and post them on Rumble because there's just nobody there. You know, if YouTube does a ban or something, we got to do that, then then we'll do it. You know, I mean, we'll do it. But uh, it is something that, it, you know, it's just it's just sad, you know, and, and it was always kind of doomed in the sense that there's a reason you set up these kind of businesses, these kind of ventures in Silicon Valley, because uh, there you have the law firms that know how to set these things up. You have the talent that can run the company, that can do the engineering, uh, that you can actually hire. Now, it's not, it wouldn't be easy to do so if you're a Trump company, but you could find a way to do it. You just can't do it in, in Florida. I mean, it would be like starting a, a movie studio uh, to compete with Warner Brothers and setting it up in Washington, D.C. Good luck hiring the actors. Good luck hiring the camera guys, the editors, or this, that. I mean, I have a hard enough time hiring enough people to do my little thing with Predator D.C. because there just aren't that many in the area that are any good of the scale that you need, much less the union ones, all that stuff. So, except that the difference is, if you were doing a movie studio in D.C., 
you know, you could actually make a movie and maybe sell it to Warner Brothers or uh, just make a movie people like or that you enjoy and 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 put that movie out. You could do that. Um, but the, the difference is that in tech, there is only total success and total failure when it comes to a social media app. Either you have the legit real network and people want to use your product or they don't. There's really no in-between. Like Truth Social or any social media app that starts to be competitive has to be growing at a rate of generally between 10, at least 10, but but really as high as 30 to 100% month over month in its early days. In terms of active users, this month you had 10,000, next month you have 11,000, month after that you got you know 12,200 and, and, and it compounds. If you don't have that kind of viral growth in a social media app, you're not going to make it. It's not going to take off. That kind of viral use is required. And, you know, one company that has really not in earnest uh, tried to uh, do very well with all of this is Facebook. Now, Facebook cratered more than 20% in after-hours trading yesterday to a six-year low on dismal earnings. Uh, They warned of uh, revenue challenges. Yeah, I'll say. Uh, there's a meme going around uh, that I've seen today. Uh, for those of you who aren't watching, it's it's the it's the uh, still from the scene of uh, Wolf of Wall Street where he's sitting in that investor center with those goons around him, and he he's doing his first call, and they're watching in amazement. And and, and it's got text that says, "The name of the company is Meta. It's a cutting edge high tech firm out of California with imminent patent approval of next generation virtual reality headsets." Yeah. That's basically what Facebook has become. They've become an experimental, speculative uh, VR company. They've, they've dumped billions now, more than $10 billion into this metaverse idea that nobody wants, nobody's interested in, particularly women. If you don't have women, you aren't going to have men, at least not very many of them, uh, and something like that. And, um, and, and it's been a flop. It's been a failure. The animation doesn't look good. It basically looks like The Sims or something, a virtual reality version of The Sims. Uh, it has just uh, been an abysmal failure. The same can be said for their cryptocurrency they tried to launch. Remember that? Um, it, it is a mess. I mean, it's been, uh, maybe some of you are more avid Facebook users than I, but if I think back to when is the last time that Facebook came out with an original feature or even a slightly unoriginal feature, that was actually useful uh, and, and perhaps enjoyable to their users, not just their advertisers, their users, you know, the everyday people who, who, who use the app, that was actually enjoyable and useful to them. I mean, when's the last time? I, I think it, it must be at least five years. It may be much longer than that. I mean, Instagram was a company they acquired very intelligently. It worked out. They copied some of Snapchat's features. It, it's you know it's still going. It's got some growth left in it, probably. But I don't know when is the last time that uh, Facebook worked. Uh, um, I, I don't. I don't. I, you know when's the last time that they came out with anything that that was innovative, that was new. I mean, they've tried this metaverse thing. They tried the crypto thing. That didn't work. I think maybe Messenger being its own app, trying to get people to use that. But that's a very niche audience. They've always had some form of direct messages on the app. And so they came out with a separate app called it Messenger. 
they bought WhatsApp. I don't know how WhatsApp makes any money. I guess they siphon some data out of people's messages or something. The whole idea is it's a secure messenger. It is not secure, okay? WhatsApp does not, WhatsApp has end-to-end encryption. Yes, that's true. And Facebook has the keys. And they regularly unlock the end-to-end encryption to just about any agency that asks for it. You go look up DEA, uh, DEA prosecution WhatsApp. They tons of drug cases, idiot moron drug dealers uh, using WhatsApp, and uh, the DEA asked Facebook for the messages. They get the messages. Okay. So I, I think basically right now it's like Facebook's now trading at a PE of under eleven. Last time I checked, which was which was last night. Uh, let me see here. What 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 is? Let's see. Uh, let me just make sure that we're talking meta here. I mean, I'm just not, I'm not, I don't like that name. I mean, that's the name of the stock. Um, let's see what we're looking at here. I, this was when I checked last night. Um, but let's see, it's down 25%. Let's see here. Uh, so it's trading at 98. It's trading under the 100 handle now. The PE ratio now under 10, it's 9.37. So Facebook trades at a price to earnings ratio of 9.37 which would be, for a company as, that would be considered as dominant in the space as Facebook, it would be considered so cheap that it's almost unimaginable even in a 2008 kind of market. I mean, they're so dominant in the marketplace that they're in that you would think to trade at that P-E ratio is, is nuts. But what it tells you is that it's not as though this is the best bargain in town per se, what it tells you is that the market thinks that there's something worse. The market thinks that that their earnings will go even lower. The market thinks that the numbers that they're reporting aren't necessarily uh, reliable, that their projections are not where they should be. They think that this metaverse thing is a complete bust, which I said it would be on day one. And I'm not saying that, you know, oh, because I said it, you know, I'm the authority. No, it just, to me, seemed kind of obvious. Doesn't mean, I don't have to be a genius to say that. It's just obvious. I mean, I think anybody with a brain that wasn't just drinking the Kool-Aid thought that. Sheryl Sandberg parachuted out at about a, an all-time high for the stock. She was, of course, the Zuckerberg COO, left-winger, uh, who was responsible for a lot of the censorship and other things at that site. I'm telling you, uh, basically, that if if they don't can Zuckerberg at that place. And it's hard to do because of the way that the founder shares are structured and the way that he controls board seats and things. But if, if he doesn't step down, okay, and, and canning him is probably not the best idea, but if he doesn't resign, if, if Zuckerberg doesn't resign from Facebook, I'm very confident that uh, it will be forever uh, be moved. It, it'll be forever moved out of the genre of companies that are these kind of VC you know, rocket fuel, venture capital, rocket fuel launched, you know, just extreme fast growth, uh, Silicon Valley titans that come onto the public market and, and then still keep offering VC-like returns, even though they're now public and mature. And that's over. I mean, for, first of all, that's over. But I, but I would also posit that it, it, it won't even be in the, in the category of the Apples and the Microsofts and the Oracles. I think what it will be in the category of are, you know, sort of publicly traded yet really in 
form and function private equity type assets. I mean, it's got a 9 PE. Silicon Valley VCs, venture capital firms, were paying 100x revenue, 100x revenue for uh, rinky-dink software as a service, enterprise software as a service, consumer software as a service companies as recently as a year ago. And, and even into the early parts of this year, in some cases, when deals were, were closing. And they were being acquired by their competitors at that price. I mean, I think that when you look at Facebook, the, the core of that business is that it has basically become a legacy, outdated, ad tech type business. That, that's basically what it is. I mean, the, the, the analog that I could kind of think of, and it's, it's far from a perfect analog, is like yellowpages.com circa 2005. So yellowpages.com kicks off in 96 or something into the into the dot-com boom, the dot-com bubble. Uh, but I look here, just some history for context, so you know what I'm talking about. In 2005, SBC acquired AT&T and took on the stronger AT&T brand. One year later, AT&T acquired Bell South for $67 billion dollars. At this point, the yellowpages.com business was no longer a joint venture. Instead, it became a wholly owned subsidiary of AT&T, also doing business as AT&T Interactive. In 2009, the yellowpages.com site was rebranded as yp.com. On May 8, 2012, Cerberus Capital Management acquired a majority share of yellowpages.com LLC as well as the print Yellow Pages business from AT&T. The business is now operating under YP LLC. YP has expanded its offers to include digital marketing. In 2013, YP rebranded and repositioned itself in the field of digital marketing. And in 2015, its marketing operations has been rebranded to YP Marketing Solutions. You see Cerberus Capital Management, at and I mean... Uh, to give you another example, Yahoo. Look at Yahoo. Look at Yahoo. Uh, in fact, one of the things I do, and, and it's, a, it's a practice I have, and um, I have heard that other people do this who want to be good commentators and want to, un- and, and just forget commentators, who just want to understand the way the world works. I go back and I watch old interviews. Old interviews. Not necessarily 30, 40, 50 years old, but like I went back recently and I watched a Charlie Rose interview of Marissa Meyer, who was the Yahoo CEO uh, back in, I want to say the interview was 2014. Uh, I'm going to let you know exactly what it was here. Uh, Let's see here. Collections. You go to charlierose.com. You know, he was canceled for some Me Too thing, but he's now back. And even before he was back, you can actually go on charlierose.com and all the interviews he's ever done, I think, I think all of them are on his website because he's always owned his show. And I mean, he's interviewed just about everyone. So this is a good place to go if you want to see old interviews. They're right on the site. There's no ads. In fact, what what I need, somebody needs to do, frankly, is they need to go and, and download all of these from his website, you know, get them off the site somehow so that we have an archive someplace else. Because what would be a shame if Charlie Rose died or something and, and, they, and they let the site go? 
we, we would really lose a, a an important historical archive of interviews because you know you can't find all the sixty minutes interviews even if you pay for them. They're not even available by DVD. I tried to find the sixty minutes interview with Jim Cramer recently, couldn't find it anywhere. It was gone from the internet. So anyway, you can see this, um, and I go here to uh, his website and I look at uh, where's the tech. Let's see. Uh, Oh, come on. It's the tech collection uh, technology today. Here we go. And then we go to Marissa Meyer. Uh, and I think it was her, you know, it was 2016 was the interview. So I looked at her interview in 2016. And uh, it was uh, it was just amazing to like watch and, and say and see what her spin was on the failure of Yahoo as she managed that stock, managed that company in March, March 10th of, of 2016 is when the interview came out. And they were, you know, oh, we've got this Tumblr thing. It's great. There's another thing that had a bunch of child porn, child exploitation, other porn on its servers that was just out of control. We have that brand. We have the brand. Everyone loves it. We're the dominant brand. Everyone goes to yahoo.com. It's like, no, only people that are forced to go there by their browser and don't know how to freaking change it. A lot of which, by the way, was fueled by Yahoo adware, so a, an old person downloads a program and they don't read the disclosures carefully. And in the installation of the program, mostly on Windows, I think this happened, but I think it was on Mac too. It, it, it then goes and switches their browser to Yahoo and they, can't, they don't know how to change it. That was most of their traffic. And, and I think basically, and this might even be a better comparison, but I think it's, it's you know, in the case of Facebook, that, the reason I use Yellow Pages is more ad focused, more ad data focused. Facebook looks very much like Yahoo. And of course, Yahoo was eventually bought by Verizon for $4 billion. They then tried to infuse some brand into it. They hired uh, a big-time former Google exec to manage it. And nonetheless, they wrote the whole thing down. It, they lost. They lost all their money on it. Lost 100% of the acquisition of Yahoo. And so Yahoo now is basically exists as a, a site in which um, you know, people go there if if it's set on their browser and they operate at a loss uh, email accounts for people. Some people still have Yahoo email accounts, uh, legacy email accounts. Uh, and Verizon just keeps it going at a loss because, you know, people would lose their emails. So they just do that. Facebook could be in the same boat as Yahoo. They really could be. And it isn't just because of macroeconomic conditions. It's because Mark Zuckerberg has failed them. The one asset that they did have going for them was the network. They actually had a billion plus real users all over the world. And they had a network going. They were writing the beta, beta meaning kind of the correlation of their stock to the fact that people were signing up for the internet, some in the, in the third world for the first time ever. Uh, but those people would rather use TikTok, I think, now. And maybe they use Facebook's legacy product or, or their, their not legacy product, but their, uh, their, their non-legacy product, uh, Instagram, which they acquired from uh, Kevin Rose uh, years ago, I, just after the company was founded and, and got going, really. But I think that, that that's over, and uh, they blew it. I mean, they banned people. They banned the president. They, they took a whole swath of the United States who was there for one particular purpose and, and wanted one kind of thing. And they said, no, no, instead, we're going to feed them propaganda about vaccines. And we're going to just feed people, you know, just spoon feed people uh, government 
instructed propaganda. So in the Twitter acquisition here, just looping back to this before we move on, the one thing that we'll be curious is, um, is it going to be the case that in fact, the government is going to be successful in pressuring Elon Musk to keep the censorship regime at Twitter? Because make no mistake, the government will try to do that. And Elon Musk, outside of this Twitter deal, uh, is is highly dependent on government money. I mean, you think about SpaceX. How does SpaceX make money? The way that SpaceX makes money is that they have contracts, some of them commercial, but many of them government, many of them classified contracts. So you, you, we don't even know what they are, uh, to put up spy satellites, to put up other things into space for the National Reconnaissance Office, for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, for the Air Force, for the NSA, for the CIA. All these agencies have, in many cases, their own separate uh, satellites, spy satellites, communication satellites. Sometimes they do it for the private sector too, but a lot of it is government. And so, you know, the government will use that fact to put pressure. There, there's the fact that, you know, they, they just renewed the Tesla subsidies uh, in the recent Inflation Reduction Act, which is not reducing inflation, of course. Uh, maybe they will uh, put some pressure on those, even though Congress approved them. Maybe they'll stop sending them out or, or, or threaten to or put some pressure there. Uh, perhaps they will, uh, uh, you know, uh, reduce solar subsidies on the solar side of what he does. I mean, everything Elon Musk does, uh, just about everything, is deeply entwined, if not dependent on, federal government dollars. They will try to use those dollars to pressure him as far as the censorship regime. The question is, will he resist or will the government be successful in doing so? That is the question. Uh, I think it remains an open question, and I have my fingers crossed, and I'm knocking on wood, and I'm hopeful that uh, he, will, he will resist that pressure and that he will restore Twitter as the public square, which means you may not like Jacob Wool, but he has a right to the public square. You may not like Lauren Loomer, but she has a right to the public square, etc. That is the hope, and and let's keep our fingers crossed. Let's hope and pray here that that, that is what happens. Uh, we're going to move on here to another segment, but I, I just want to let you know that you can all support the show. The way you do it is uh, you can go on Cash App. Real Jacob Wool is the Cash App. Real Jacob Wool on Cash App. You can also go to jacobwool.org slash podcast. Uh, there you can set up a recurring donation if you like, or or a one-time. I believe we have a both. And that is built on the Gumroad platform. I don't get your card info or anything like that, but but Gumroad has just been great to us. We've been banned by Stripe. We've been banned by PayPal. We've been banned all over the place. Gumroad has been excellent when it comes to uh, giving people a, a mechanism to support Predator DC and the work we've done there. So I figured they would be a natural fit for uh, this program as well. So again, you can go to uh, uh, Gumroad to support. Uh, you just go to jacobwool.org slash podcast, jacobwool.org slash podcast, uh, or cash app at Real Jacob Wool. Uh, but really, even more importantly, frankly, especially at this early stage than the financial support, and that's important, trust me, is to share the links, get it out there. You know, we're just, we're just all doing our best here, guys. I mean, when it comes to the censorship regime we've been under, coming from a place where we had you know, 150,000 followers plus on Instagram, 180 plus on Twitter, banned, banned, uh, you name it. I mean, banned from email, banned from, uh, banned from robocalls, banned from, uh, or people trying to get us banned from putting up posters. Uh, it is a censorship regime 
unlike any other that's ever been seen in history. Uh, that we have basically coming up against us in, in a in a brutal, tyrannical technocracy in this country. We're doing our best. Uh, you know, frankly, somebody was saying, "Well, you know, Jacob, you you haven't really grown the program in two years. Uh, you, it's because you should have been on." Nick Fuentes' network, and maybe so, I, and I wouldn't mind having the show on Cozy TV. Maybe some of you can uh, help lobby for that. Uh, I would like to simulcast it on Cozy TV, but I'll say that the bigger issue, the, the issue is not that. The, the real issue is that is that I was behind a paywall for two years at Censored.TV, and, and they were great to me. They were phenomenal, and, and they're great guys over there, uh, the people who run it. Uh, you know, of course, the, the main one being Gavin McInnes. Just wonderful. I've got nothing bad to say about them at all. They did a fantastic job. Uh, and there are, you know, upsides and downsides to being behind a paywall. The, the upside is that you have some reliable kind of cash flow across a network of multiple shows and um, you, you can do that. That's the, that's the upside. The downside though, is that it's not the way to get viral growth. It's not the way to go out and grab mass numbers of audience. It just isn't. Uh, even in the, even in the, in the face of censorship, it's easier to do so by just putting the program out there. Podcasting 2.0 has helped. Uh, we're on all the podcasting apps as of now. Somebody mentioned they couldn't find us on Google. I looked. It was still there on Google Podcasts. So we're out there uh, in podcast form and video form. We're going to keep uh, pushing the show and getting it out there. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. So a paywall, you know, like I said, certain advantages, but it's not what you want if you're looking to grow uh, your program. So share the links and, and help us do that here. Um, and, and we're going to keep, uh, I'm going to keep delivering the show and and, and providing the service. And the, and the service that I try to provide is to inform you, to analyze the information that's out there and the motives behind why certain information comes out why certain information doesn't come out or why certain information doesn't get played up. Like if you go on any news site, you'd never know that there was a major school shooting in this country this week. Why isn't that being talked about? Well, I'm still getting in some of the details of that. It's been hard to even gather the details. Trust me, we're going to talk more about that story on this show, but we all know why it's not being talked about, folks. Come on. I don't even have to say why it isn't being talked about. I don't even have to say it. I don't have to belabor it. I don't want to belabor it. It's just, at some point, it's it's just not, uh, it, it, it doesn't showcase my intellect to sit here and say, I wonder why, sarcastically, they're not showing this story. You aren't idiots. You don't need me to ask you rhetorical questions uh, in order for you to get a point. Sarcasm is not really something that I like to employ. Uh, on a show. I don't think it translates well because for one thing, people take your quotes in text form out of your show or they take out clips. So it's it, it's not prudent to do that. Uh, but even more importantly, I think it's just annoying uh, all of the all of the sarcasm that you see on shows. Uh, but uh, that's a service I provide. I want to I want to help you understand what's happening, what you ought to worry about in the news, what you ought not to worry about. And I want to talk here about something. Speaking of which, making the segue here, that I think is an emerging trend. Uh, it is something that we have seen for for years, for decades, in some form or other. We all know that the government can weaponize the national security state 
in the police state against political dissidents. It's happened for a long time. In fairness, it's happened to people on both sides of the aisle. But beginning around the time that Trump took office, it got really, really bad. Okay, worse than what was happening to, to, to Julian Assange, which he's not an American, so that doesn't technically count as turning it internally. He is a journalist, so it's something that we take issue with. But, you know, also, uh, you know, the, the, the Mueller witch hunt, the Russia thing, I mean, the way that people were rounded up with that within like three weeks of getting started, Mueller indicts Flynn. It's just crazy. I mean, what, what we've seen weaponized. But now it's going to a whole new level. And January 6th is their vehicle of choice most of the time for this. They have other little stunts like the the Whitmer uh, kidnapping sting operation hoax case where they've now secured convictions on a second trial of people uh, after, after mistrials and acquittals the first time. We know how Michigan is, how corrupt that state is. It's just out of control. Uh, I mean, I, I know probably better than anyone. But they were going to pick something either way. I warned about this. In fact, I need to go get that warning. It was the show I did. Yeah, I think it was the last show before Election Day. It was called Brace for Impact. That was the show title, I remember. And I remember that I was wearing a uh, dark blue dress shirt, an Eaton dress shirt that I rarely wear, and a blue striped tie. And it was kind of a loud look for me. I don't, I don't usually dress that loudly uh, on the show. But I did in that case. And I predicted exactly this. I said, you're going to see all of the vehicles of the national security state turned inward. Republicans are going to be hunted down like dogs. You get ready. If Biden wins and Biden uh, took power, he took over, he was installed, and he uh, has done exactly that. And, and trust me, I would have much rather been wrong about that prediction, okay? I would have rather eaten my words, been totally wrong, and, and not had this kind of witch hunt take place. But they uh, found their opportunity with January 6th. They would have found one anyway had January 6th not happened. And they began this hunt of Republicans, this persecution of Republicans. And it has taken several forms. But this is just an article uh, that, I, that I just stumbled across uh, very recently. Uh, yesterday, in fact. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I'm just scrolling through and I, I see this article. Uh, this is in Law and Crime by a guy named uh, Adam uh, Classfield, uh, he's a reporter there, or Classfeld, or, or however, Classfeld, I think it's pronounced. And uh, this article, I, I, I looked at it, I said, "Is wait a second, this is a real headline. And it's, it's an article edition of a, a podcast interview, I guess, that he did. And it says, uh, the title here is, Ex-Acting Assistant Attorney General Details How Combating ISIS Prepared Her to Take on U.S. Domestic Terrorists and So-Called militias. Let me read that one more time for those of you who are listening uh, on podcast form, in podcast form, rather than watching with me here and, and, and seeing it with your own eyes. Ex-acting assistant attorney general details how combating ISIS prepared her to take on U.S. domestic extremists and so-called militias. And you say, whoa, that that is a new development. And she wasn't the only person who used language like that this week. It's rolling out. Those talking points are rolling out in an official manner. The DNC or somebody is sending these out and they're getting picked up and they're being used. And this is a new escalation that must be marked. It must be memorialized with this show. 
It needs to be addressed. It needs to be pointed out. If somebody said something like this 10 years ago, they would be driven from public life, brutally driven from public life. They'd never work again. I mean, to compare any group, I mean, I've been tough on, on black gang violence. I wouldn't compare black gangs to ISIS. They're, they're not comparable. Black gangs do a lot of damage in our country. Not comparable to ISIS in their terror, in their brutality, in their scale, in their tactics. Just not, just not a comparison. Different kind of problem. It's a problem. It's a different problem. But you have this woman who's an ex-acting assistant attorney general for the U.S. Department of Justice saying that, that domestic extremists are comparable to ISIS. They're, they're comparable to ISIS. That's what she is actually saying. I, I mean, I, when have you seen Oath Keepers? When have you seen uh, Proud Boys uh, line up in the street or out in the middle of nowhere and behead a bunch of people? Or put a bunch of people in cages and burn them alive or drown them in cages and then publish videos of that. I mean, nobody in our country, the, the, the most contemptible groups in our country don't do anything like that. The closest thing you can find uh, anywhere in this hemisphere would be the Mexican drug cartels who do chainsaw people from time to time and then put videos out and a lot of things like that. They're the closest thing you can find. But, but this is just amazing. Uh, the, the article here reads, uh, nearly 1,900 miles away from where leaders of the Oath Keepers have been standing in historic trial for seditious conspiracy in Washington, D.C., a watershed ruling combating so-called militia groups came down in a county courthouse in New Mexico. In that case, a Bernalillo uh, County judge barred a little-known paramilitary organization known as the New Mexico Civil Guard from using, quote, organized force at protests or gatherings former acting assistant attorney general, Mary McCord, and she's been on MSNBC for a long time. I've seen her for several years now, I think. Uh, and now executive director at the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection at Georgetown Law, helped spearhead the fight. So you, so you think about this. She is the head of, of something called the Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection. And then she's going out and comparing Americans to ISIS, comparing Republicans, conservative activists, grandmas who stumbled into the Capitol on January 6th, comparing them to ISIS, and yet holds herself out to be a, a constitutional advocacy and protection leader. And that's at Georgetown Law. I mean, the the the. the the, the, the utter contempt for the truth here that these people have is amazing. The, the, the extremist nature of these people, I, I even think that I've underestimated it. I mean, I, I, if you would have told me a month ago, uh, if you would have told me three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, that they would actually be comparing the Proud Boys or, or right-wingers to ISIS, I'd say, well, hold on. I mean, overtly comparing them to ISIS? I'd say you're nuts because they've been kind of, you know, uh, talking around that idea and saying, well, domestic extremism is the biggest threat. They've been priming the pumps for a while. But to overtly say it is just a new level of escalation that 
cannot be overstated, and it's important. She says, uh, it says here, uh, this is when a foreign terrorist organization, ISIS, declared a caliphate and was taking up, physically taking over territory in Syria and claiming to be its own sovereign state, McCord reflected, noting that many U.S. citizens traveled abroad to take up that fight. Yeah, U.S. citizens, um, Muslim uh, U.S. citizens, mostly Muslim, recent Muslim immigrant U.S. citizens who just came over there and then basically went right back. Yeah, refugees and the like, uh, most of them from Minneapolis, if you look at the breakdown of that. The way that those who are adhering to extremist movements recruit and spread and propagandize and monetize, I, sorry, it's just the way this woman talks, it, it's hard to quote her, but because it, it's, it's a quote from a podcast, and plot and plan is very similar to the way we see domestic extremists do similar recruitment. Oh, really? Yeah, all, so many beheading videos that the Proud Boys are putting out and and promising people 72 virgins and having uh, people blow themselves up, right? It's just happening all the time. They create an us versus them, you know? Let's blame somebody else for our own problems, whether they're economic or what have you. A mythology about the Second Amendment. Okay, well, now they're going to go after the Second Amendment here. You see, it's like in the same breath that this woman makes the claim that we basically have ISIS running around within the U.S. borders in the form of all these right-wing extremists that are so dangerous. She's also saying we need to strike down your Second Amendment rights. You see, if we really had an imminent ISIS-like threat, and, and I mean a, a threat, let's say, let's make this in real terms. If we had a threat in this country that was tantamount to, let's say, what the people of Mosul, Iraq, had, when ISIS was closing in, if we if we had that style of threat in this country, the last thing you would ever want to do is take issue with the Second Amendment, poke holes in the Second Amendment. The last thing you want to do is keep people from organizing militias to stop that, isn't it? Well, not them, not these people apparently, because it's it goes hand in hand. They want to disarm you and label you ISIS, and then they want to round you up and... Uh, do whatever they're going to do with you. Throw you in the, I mean, look, they'll throw you in the in the D.C. jail. They'll just put you downtown uh, in, in a basement in the D.C. jail. I, mean, I don't have to use hyperbole here. It's what they've done to people who dared to so much as trespass on January 6th. And oftentimes you could make the argument, was it even trespassing because the door was open to them and and the cops waving them into the building. So, but that's that's what they're comparing here. It says, McCord believes that calling such groups militias, uh, it, it says here, uh, I, I skipped a paragraph here, it says, the mythology of the Second Amendment, the U.S. militia movement has its roots in the 1990s, uh, flaring up with the standoff of Ruby Ridge, the Waco siege, and the Oklahoma City bombing. No, the U.S. militia movement does not have its roots in the 1990s. Uh, the U.S. militia movement uh, has its roots with George Washington. It has its roots with the Continental Army. It has its roots with declaring independence of the United States of America from Britain. That's what the Second Amendment has its roots with. That's what the militia movement has its roots with. It is not as though the idea that there shall be uh, militias is something that people just made up in the 1990s. It is in the text of the Second Amendment. It says a well-regulated militia being necessary. And so, but they will say, no, no, Second Amendment doesn't say that. That's a myth. The, the text of the Constitution, it says no such thing. That is a myth. It's just something that came out of the 1990s, you know, like uh, 
UFOs in this part of the country or, uh, you know, the idea that pot's good for you. It's just some myth that started in the 1990s. Wrong. But that's what they're saying here. Now, you know, these various uh, Fed-induced incidents in so many cases, like Ruby Ridge and Waco. Remember, they talk about the Ruby, the Ruby Ridge uh, the Ruby Ridge and Waco siege as if it were the militias laying siege. No, no. Th these are called sieges because it was the government laying siege to people's private property and then burning them alive, including children. Uh, that's why it's called the siege. They, they call it a siege as if, like, th th it was these people who then uh, conducted a siege. Now, you know, Oklahoma City, uh, that's a, a bombing. Uh, they say Timothy McVeigh was associated with the Michigan militia. Now, you know, one thing I will tell you, and I've always said this on the show, stay away from these groups. I mean, do not go and 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 sign up for these groups, okay? These groups are fed city. If you have some group in your area that says, yeah, we've got a militia, come sign up, we've got this, stay away from it. Stay away. I don't care if your buddy from back in your army days or back in the Marines or whatever, you know, says he's joining up. Just forget it. Don't talk to these people. Don't, don't ever respond to their messages. Those groups are, in every case, being essentially operated, all but operated by the FBI. Mostly the FBI. Also the ATF, in many cases, uh, has a role. Um, and, and so stay, stay the hell away from them. If the point ever comes in this country where uh, organization is needed, um, you will know it, okay? And it's not now, and, and it's not, uh, you know, with some group of bozos uh, in Michigan or someplace else. Stay the hell away from these groups. I have told everyone who watches the show that most of them, most of you, I, I know I don't even need to say this because you are smart, uh, I have an intelligent audience. I have a, a, not just an intelligence audience, an intelligent audience, but a, a seasoned audience. These people who watch, even the young people, have have more life experience than their age would suggest on average. That's been my observation, talking to you, getting emails in, notes into the show. You can always send those notes, by the way, to, to read on the show, jacobwald.org slash contact. Send them with or without a, a donation, and I'll do my best to answer them here on the show. So they're just pretending that the whole idea of militia starts in the 1990s, and it has nothing to do with anything. So these groups and other real Second Amendment absolutists have been fairly effective, I think, in really creating a mythology about the Second Amendment, a mythology by which private militias like them are a bulwark against the tyranny of the government, she noted. This is a very insurrectionist view of the Constitution, but it's not consistent with the history, the text of the Constitution, or Supreme Court interpretation. Well, I mean, she says that, but where's the case law where, where that is uh, laid out? And, and again, I'm no fan of this idea of doing this. I say stay away from it. If you're already involved, get uninvolved. Just, just don't be involved in this kind of stuff because it's always some kind of a psyop. Always. Always. So just stay away from this stuff. I, I, I'm telling you, it's it's not something you want to be involved in. Uh, 
They said this came from Virginia's Bill of Rights when it enacted its constitution back in the 1770s or 1700s, uh, McCord noted. Uh, this is a way of basically saying no rogue militias, right? We're going to have a state government here. We're going to have a state constitution. We'll have our own state militia. In addition to these constitutional clauses, McCord counted 29 states with criminal anti-militia statutes dating back to the 1800s. They provide that bodies of men are prohibited from organizing together as military units or military companies uh, were parading and drilling in public with firearms, McCord said. It was back Okay, so, you know, she's talking about this, whatever. You know, it's like you got an issue with armed group of men uh, and women increasingly. Uh, constitutionalists are not the ones creating violence all over the country. I mean, just look at uh, Prince George's County. I, I, I tweeted out a video. In fact, we don't have time for it on the show. They're now running ads in PG County, which is a, a basically a, a very crime-ridden county next to Washington, D.C., adjacent, abutting Washington, D.C. And... They're running ads now with like rappers saying like uh, to kids, like it's not cool to carjack as if you need to, add. it's like, oh my God. Yeah. If you, if, if you want to talk about threats, it's, it's not, uh, you know, Joe Blow, uh, you know, morbidly obese militiamen in Texas. It says here, organization ICAP began its legal offensive. So you have to understand there are both private and public government and non-government legal offensives coming after this, these things, uh, when uh, on these laws uh, in the form of a civil lawsuit filed after deadly white, after the deadly white supremacist Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017. I'm not even going to, I mean, I, it's just already running long. I don't even have time. You guys know about that stuff already. Um, we'd use similar state laws and similar legal theories to represent the city and local businesses and residential associations seeking injunctive relief. Okay, so these are the people that go around suing. You know, it's like when they come in, well, it's not the same because there's, there's just even no merit in, in, in the case of, uh, 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 of me. But they, they say, you know, let's go pick out a law from 1873. Hmm, let's use the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1873 and accuse Jacob Wool, a Jew, of being a Ku Klux Klansman and file a lawsuit and try to make new law. You see, it's a case of first impressions. Let's make new case law. And then we can cite that case and sue every other Republican we ever feel like under the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1873. That's what it's about. And a lot of times, these groups are funded by George Soros. They're funded by you name it. Okay. And so this is, uh, they're talking about this here. And um, anyway, look, guys, avoid these militias, but it, it is crazy that she's saying this. And even, and like I say, she's not the only person to put out this kind of nutty rhetoric. It's not like she is one rogue official. Uh, you know, this is a person who is an establishment person who is, who is, uh, a visiting professor at Georgetown university who runs this group claiming to defend civil rights. And, uh, she's not alone. Like I said, here's Peter Strzok. Remember Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, the, the, the Mueller goons who were having extramarital affairs on the job and texting about how much they, they hated Trump and we're going to take him down and run a coup basically. Well, here's uh, Peter Strzok here on MSNBC this week. Uh, he was on a panel alongside uh, Mueller's lead hatchet man, uh, Andrew Weissman, and the panel was hosted by George W. Bush, uh, former uh, George W. Bush White House Communications Director, Nicole Wallace. Remember, this is a, uh, I guess, former Republican here, if you can ever call it a Republican, because she worked for George W. Bush in the White House. But here it is. Here's Peter Strzok on the, on the show. Here's what he has to say about all this. 
And, you know, that Mueller ethos emanated, I'm, I'm sure, from his own personal code, but also post 9-11. And I worked in the administration in which he served as FBI director. And what he sort of gave birth to in the lexicon was we, the FBI would never again, first of all, fail to sync up with the CIA and all sorts of artificial and, and real walls were torn down. And they would never again fail to connect the dots. I've not heard one utterance of connecting the dots from Christopher Wray in the days after the deadliest attack on the U.S. Capitol in our, you know, in history. Connecting the dots. What does that mean, really? But here we go. Nicole, I think that's right. And I think if you look at the scale in terms of the threat to democracy, I mean, 9-11 was a tragedy. We lost thousands of lives in a horrific way that we still mourn to this day. But when you look at something that is an attack on democracy, something that could actually bring about a fundamental change to American governance as we understand it, 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. And the fact that the FBI and the rest of the government, if they are not on the same sort of war footing that we were on in the weeks and months and years after 9-11, shame on everyone. That is Peter Strzok. I, I want to just play that for you one more time. Maybe you weren't paying attention. Maybe uh, somebody cut you off in traffic because you, you need to hear this. Listen to what he says here. Look at something that is an attack on democracy, something that could actually bring about a fundamental change to American governance as we understand it. 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. And the fact that the... He says 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. That's what Peter Strzok says. And uh, it's... Uh, it speaks for itself. I mean, what do you? What, what am I supposed to say? What 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 am I supposed to even say about this? I'm not often left speechless. But but what exactly am I supposed to sit here and debunk and say? Well, there were three thousand on this day. There were five on that. Am I supposed to sit here like some kind of logical bean counter and compare the two? The point that they would ever be introduced into the same category on itself is is just so insulting. It's so galling. And again, it's something that if you had said this ten years ago or five years ago, maybe even, when, when Mueller was first kicking off, you would be run out of public life permanently. You would not work for elite institutions, law firms, law schools, uh, civil purported civil rights organizations like this uh, Mary McCord runs. And yet this is the rhetoric that is being put out on MSNBC. That 9-11, that's what he says, that 9-11 is nothing compared to January 6th. That's what... Peter Strzok is saying, and he says that we need to be on the same war footing that we were on after 9-11, using the same tactics, and if we're not, then shame on the people that are still within the national security state actively, which Peter Strzok is not, unless you count uh, CIA contracts, but you know, maybe I'm not supposed to talk about that, but uh, Peter Strzok has done his fair bit of CIA contracting. Uh, no, you're not going to be able to Google that, it's, uh, but it's something I can report to you uh, independently based on my own knowledge on this show. But but what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean, war footing? Like, like, let's just remember what we're talking about here. What he's calling for to happen against the kinds of people that have been arrested in connection with January 6th and people that are connected to them, because you have to connect the dots, remember? It's not just the hijackers. It's everyone they're connected to. you got to round them up, too, and the people they're connected to. Well, what are you talking about here? I mean, well, let's just go over a few examples. No fly list. Terror watch list, banning people from the internet, social media, and the like. FISA warrants, warrantless wiretapping using uh, Patriot Act mechanisms like national security letters. 
discrediting uh, through use of government-orchestrated propaganda campaigns. Well, uh, you already have most of those uh, in use against political dissidents in this country. All of them, actually. Let's see, I'm looking here. I haven't been no-fly listed yet, guys, thank God, uh, because how on earth would I fly to all of these legal hearings that I have to go to, uh, thanks to these people, if I run the no-fly list? I don't know, maybe they'd have to send me a jet or something like they do for uh, Christopher Ray when he wants to go on vacation with his family. They just send in a jet. Maybe that's what it would be. Uh, watch list, yes, we already have that. Banning from social media, yes. FISA warrants have used those against me. Uh, warrantless wiretapping using national security letters, check. Uh, dis- uh, government orchestrated propaganda, check. Uh, spying on U.S. Uh, the other thing they did, remember, they spied on U.S. senators and congressmen. The CIA spied on U.S. senators and congressmen. The FBI spied on U.S. senators and congressmen. Well, they're doing that. Yep, you bet. Uh, I mean, you have Republican congressmen having their phones seized in airports suddenly, all of that. Uh, lying about intelligence uh, to the American people uh, for the uh, what they see as the greater good, check. We've got that. They're doing that uh, by even propounding this idea that uh, the, the threat is really from uh, right-wingers, not uh, ISIS, and the, the, the threat's similar. I mean, that's very much a lie. It's a bigger lie, frankly, than Iraqi WMDs because, you know, Iraq had some chemical weapons at some point, obviously. That's proven. It's well-known. I mean, so so it's an even bigger lie because it's, it's, it's not only not true, but it's never been true. Um, uh, sealed secret criminal prosecutions check. Yeah. The, in the cases of, uh, Steve, uh, in the cases of rather, uh, uh, Paul Manafort, there were instances where they sealed the courtroom, put paper over the windows, literally, uh, and, and didn't let people see what was happening. That's happening. Uh, abuse of the material witness statute. Uh, this is where in the days and weeks uh, after nine 11, the government gathered and detained many people. Uh, these were mostly Muslims in the U S um, and through through a, a technicality that permits the arrest and brief detention, I think it's three days is the limit, of material witnesses or those who have important information about a crime. Um, and so that's that's happened. They've done that to people uh, concerning January 6th. Uh, how about extraordinary renditions? That's something that happened after 9-11. In other words, these were uh, kidnappings of people. You pick someone up, you take them to a CIA black site. Now, this is someplace that, you know, is is off record. It's classified. It doesn't exist uh, in terms of the official record. And then you interrogate them using both uh, normal interrogation techniques as well as, well as enhanced interrogation techniques, which, by the way, are, are not torture, but they're right on the line. Um, I, in fact, I've had the chance to speak to Dr. James Mitchell uh, quite a bit about uh he was the guy who, who came up with the enhanced interrogation techniques. I, I'm trying to get him on this show to interview him. It's, it's just been tough with scheduling, and they're still suing him all these years later. Uh, but that's something that we'll, that is uh, we're close to. It's happened to some January 6th uh, detainees. They, they haven't technically brought them to black sites. They brought them to the D.C. jail, but that, that maybe black sites will be next. Maybe that will be next. Uh, how, how about uh, – but let's look at some of the other things that, that have that – have, or something that happened – in the days following 9-11 that Peter Strzok and others are calling for to happen to uh, political dissidents in this country, who they view as being tantamount to ISIS or the Al-Qaeda 9-11 hijackers, handing over detainees third world countries uh, so that they can be tortured by their security services, and our hands will be clear of it. They want to do that. If you've never seen the movie uh, with Meryl Streep called Rendition, uh, Rendition was made as an anti-Bush propaganda movie. 
And in the movie, I'm not spoiling it here, uh, there's an American who arrives back at Dulles Airport and is rendered to a third world country to be interrogated. Um, that never happened, okay? It, it never happened that an American was rendered uh, like that to a CIA black site or to a, a third world country to be interrogated. That, that, that's just a fictional uh, liberty that they took to make an artful criticism of the rendition program. It, it never happened. They used that, but, but because uh, life imitates art, art imitates life, people think that movies are real, people assume that that did happen in the rendition program, and thus it became a political uh, hammer to use against Bush at the time. But you go watch that, because remember, that's what Peter Strzok does want to happen to Americans uh, who are Republicans that he wants hunted down. Uh, killer capture raids, of course. I mean, you know, SEAL Team 6, JSOC, uh, more broadly, even conventional forces going in on kill and capture, killer capture raids, like the bin Laden raid. I guess that would be called for because we do need to be on the war footing we were on after 9-11, according to Peter Strzok, because of January 6th and uh, other threats he, he determines to be coming from the political right in this country. Uh, how about killing entire families uh, using drone strikes? I guess Peter Strzok wants that. How about the dropping of 500-pound bombs or 1,000-pound or 2,000-pound or bombs on homes? Uh, is that something that he, he thinks should also be used? How about the removal by force of duly elected heads of state because we determined that's part of our interests in the war footing after 9-11? Now, we aren't as far away from that as you think. You do have now already these suits that go out where they try to ban people from, from running for office because they were at January 6th or something like that. It's not quite by force, but it's darn close because if they were to you know, succeed in getting those orders through in a court and then those people were to not drop out of the race, then, of course, they would uh, be arrested. So, yeah, it's, it's right there. It's, it's, it's right there. It's very close. Um, you know, to basically uh, removing people on the basis of... of of force or the threat of force. Um, how about an effectively unlimited budget to fund all of these measures, uh, which is passed unanimously by Congress and to which any challenge will mean total retribution from the military industrial complex, from the intelligence services. We talked about how they spied on Feinstein when she was looking into enhanced interrogation, all of that. And, and that is something that, that they're getting there on. They're trying to reallocate resources in the defense budget from external, Ukraine, et cetera, more to going after people domestically. Certainly the FBI is reprioritizing their massive budget. The FBI, an organization that should be shut down. They're spending great resources on this. Uh, may as well be unlimited. May as well be unlimited. In fact, you remember Lindsey Graham said, spare no expense, uh, leave no stone unturned, round all these people up. Lindsey Graham said that after January 6th. So yeah, it's basically happening. And then lastly, I'll say that the cloaking of all of these measures through the use of mass classification. Well, we have that taking place already uh, when the FBI is finally forced to release some document. What do they do? They release a piece of paper and the whole page is black. And they say, there you go, Congress. That's our response to your subpoena. Fuck off. Here's your page. It's all black. Or they go and they raid Trump and then uh, at Mar-a-Lago, and the judge says, you need to release this to the public. And they say, screw you. Here's a black sheet. Go to hell. I mean, one wonders if the text is even under the black. Uh, I mean, at that point, what's the difference, right? I mean, you just, why redact it? Just 
I, I think what they actually do at FBI headquarters is that they do a Google image search for black square, and then they copy and paste black square, make it roughly the size of what the margins would be for text, and they print it out and say, here's a picture of a black square. Go F yourself, Your Honor. Screw off, Congress. We have a subpoena from you. Go to hell. Here's a black square. I mean, that's what the FBI does. They're, they do it worse than anyone. CIA doesn't release anything. They have people on the intel committees compromise up the wazoo. You go read my Substack article on James Lankford if you want to know about that. I mean, you ask yourself why the people picked to run these intel committees are always so utterly compromised, like James Lankford with his summer camp where the kids were mysteriously raped by uh, a, uh, one of the chief camp counselors who was, by the way, blind. That's a little weird, isn't it? Blind. And, and how he brutally raped and threatened to kill a 13-year-old, this blind camp counselor at the camp run by James Lankford, and that the whole thing didn't go to trial, the victims never got to say their piece by a blind guy, and um, they said, well, he's blind, uh, no jail time, zero jail. You tell me how that works out. You tell me how that happens in a place like Oklahoma. Okay, and that's the guy who got picked to run Senate Intel, um, you know, and then you have Marco Rubio and his history of, of suspicious dealings in Florida, or you talk about on the House side, people like Adam Schiff, who was intimately connected with uh, gay sex den uh, murderer Ed Buck, or you look at uh, the other guy who runs it, who was in charge of running it. Uh, of course, uh, Eric Swalwell. So the point is, CIA doesn't even have to bother with printing out the black squares because they've got their committees in Congress totally compromised. Uh, whereas FBI, you know, answers to Intel to the Intel committees, but more so to Judiciary committees because they're a DOJ uh, entity. So, you know, it's just uh, it's just remarkable. Uh, I see this email the guy had on who thought he was being followed, John. Uh, if you would, just to remind me, send me an email, go to jacobwold.org slash contact or just jacob at jacobwold.org. I want to talk about that, but but we just don't have time today. We're going too long. I do want to just send me an email. I'll talk about it on the next show. I guarantee you. I, I want to talk about that. Um, I'll, I'll provide context around that and why that was an important interview to give and do. Um, very important. May have even saved lives doing that interview. But, you know, I will tell you, Unlike unlike uh, Al-Qaeda or various associated persons or, God forbid, if there was uh, some innocent Muslim who, who faced these measures after 9-11, unlike them, uh, Republicans who face this kind of persecution, we, we don't have any backup. We don't have any uh, support. I mean, you know, the, the, the literal Taliban kingpins that would get killed in drone strikes by Barack Obama would receive the most unbelievable treatment from Democrats in Congress who would criticize the drone strikes, who would threaten to pull funding. I mean, these people, these Muslim terrorists who were waterboarded, I mean, they have, and still have, they're still suing James Mitchell. Still. He's the author of the book, Enhanced Interrogation. They're still suing him. And, you know, it's not just in Congress, it's ACLU, it's all these other, you know, fake civil rights organizations that are started up by these Democrats. They have the backup of all these groups. When, when Republicans are persecuted for robocalls or they're, they're charged with um, something that 
looks like free speech. Where's the ACLU for them? Nowhere to be found. Where, where, where are Republicans for them? Even Republicans, even their own side of the aisle, non-existent. I mean, you know, you might get a soundbite here, a soundbite there. You know, Ted Cruz says, oh, you know, why are you charging those guys in Michigan, huh? Oh, really? You promoted him? Hmm, okay. It's like, are you serious? I mean, and then, and then that's really just to use that soundbite to then get a spot on Fox News that night to then get your name out there and promote your podcast or to then use that soundbite in a bunch of spam emails that you send out the next day asking people to donate to your campaign. So, so even that little bit of symbolic support is really uh, for purposes that are self-serving. So make no mistake, this war footing that the government is taking, it is just that. It is a war footing. It is not merely a malicious prosecution footing. And uh, you have to act accordingly. And, and what that exactly means, I'm not even sure yet. We're going to figure that out together. Uh, lastly, here on the show, before we wrap up, I, I just quickly here, I mean, you, you've all seen the clips of this, this Oz Fetterman thing. I, I don't need to make you suffer through that anymore. Uh, John Fetterman's uh, stu stuttering and, and, and nonsense. Uh, I mean, it's almost it's almost like a benefit that he stutters, though, because if, if people heard his actual positions, it would be worse, probably. I mean, in fact, the stroke may be the best thing that ever happened to John Fetterman from an election standpoint, because if you if you heard him say clearly what he believes, you'd be horrified as an independent voter, as, as anyone other than some kind of uh, Antifa acolyte or Black Lives Matter acolyte, as any normal, reasonable person, if you heard him say clearly what he thinks, you, you'd be horrified. So, so the stutter and the stroke and the fact that he can't audio process, can't speak, uh, that may be to his benefit. But, of course, it should be disqualifying. In any normal circumstance, if a Republican were like this, it would be disqualifying. I mean, they, they talk about Herschel Walker's Southern draw and his, the way he speaks slowly and they say, oh, he's, he can't speak well enough. He shouldn't be able to run. That's what Democrats say about Herschel Walker. But look at Fetterman. I mean, Fetterman could have another stroke and drop dead at any moment. And that's not disqualifying for him, uh, according to the left. But really, I mean, I, without saying things you've already heard, what, what I really want to, to say here, and, and it's something I've heard from Ann Coulter and, and a few others, is that this is really a, a bellwether election here in, in Pennsylvania, the, this Senate election, because uh, this election will will show whether there's anything left. I mean, whether there's anything left. I mean, you have to remember something. A, a lot of the old 2016 Trump voters, if they were older, ha have died. They're not around. A lot of the people that were, you know, middle Republican, older swing voters who were older— and they voted for Trump in 2016, they've passed away. Just old age, just died. It happens. And, you know, it's it's six years later now. So, you know, some time has passed. And and if they were 74, you know, they died, you know, statistically speaking. And meanwhile, every year, the colleges that have basically become madrasas for the far left are churning out more uh, left-wing extremists who... Uh, you know, when they get to a certain age, become likely voters. And uh, the brainwashing of uh, suburban women has been pretty extreme. And so this is something that, that we have to contend with from an electoral standpoint. And, and if these 
trends, if these phenomena have, if they have taken place now to such a degree that uh, even a big giant ogre who can't speak because of a stroke can win. If it's really that bad, I mean, and he shouldn't just lose, he should be smoked. Fetterman should be smoked in this election. But if he wins, uh, you know, I, frankly, frankly, it'd make my life a lot easier. You know, I mean, I, if he wins, it, it would, it would, it would, it would, frankly, save me a lot of time because I won't have to sit here uh, playing, you know, electoral cat and mouse, and and and, you know, uh, doing consulting business and telling people, you know, hey, you, you've got to turn out these people here and those people there, and we can basically ignore polling for the rest of time because what difference does it make? And you know. I mean, if in this environment, if in this economy, with the kind of crime that you see throughout Pennsylvania, if this big fat ogre wins, who cannot even speak, who has positions so far left that, I mean, they're so far left of left, they're, 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 they're just un, unconscionable, then, like I said, we it's not a matter of call it quits. It's not about call it quits. It's just we don't have to bother with a whole lot of different things. You know, we, we can, we can set destiny on its course and, 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 and ride it out because it, it would really mean that. I mean, like, like we can just say like, look, Jack Posobiec, I, you know, I know you mean well, but we, I mean, it's a lot of work to sit here and tweet out Fetterman clips all day long. Right. That's just to hell with it. You know, I mean, if, if we're really in a position where it's gotten that bad, where we have uh, been bulldozed by the left to that degree between the demographics, between the, the colleges, uh, the, the, the propaganda, the fact they've taken over all of the media, then, you know, hey, accelerationism, here we come, I guess. And, and, and not because the right's going to do anything to, to burn the ships. No, not, not because Republicans are going to set off something to burn the ships or the militia guys are going to, no, no, not because the right's going to cease, uh, the, the all belief in, in elections or anything like that. No, no. What I mean is that the kind of bedlam and chaos and the 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 degree to which that the current demographic trends will be uh, absolutely uh, pumped to the moon with with rocket fuel on the fire to to that extent the country will be irrecoverable i mean you want to do another 4 years 5 years 8 years of 2 million illegals a year at the border you want to do another uh, four, five, ten years of 10% inflation. Uh, you want to do another couple years of adding $2 trillion a year to the debt while, by the way, having interest rates at 7% or I guess 10-year 5 or something or, or higher. Maybe they can go higher. Inflation at 10%. You want to do an, another year of, of being utterly dominated by the tech companies, of having... Uh, sexual deviance, uh, basically uh, perform pornographically and, and read porn to your kids at the school library. 
then, you know, it, that's your country. Hey, it's like, it's like the people in California. I'm a if I was a Californian born and raised there, but ultimately it's like people vote for things and, uh, and, and sometimes politicians deliver, you know, that that's the trouble. Unkept promises from politicians are usually a good thing. There are some exceptions, of course, like the wall. But if a politician's not doing things, it, it's, it's often good. People say, well, Jacob, that's really your expectation. You really want apathy? No, I don't want apathy. But if it's apathy or, you know, ogre legalizing pedophilia, then I'll take apathy. Yeah, sure. And it's like people at some point get what they vote for over enough occurrences, over enough time. And that's what they got in California. It's like you you people in California and San Francisco, you don't get to bitch about your car being broken into. First of all, leave your here's how you deal with that. Leave your door unlocked. Um, maybe even consider, and I've seen people do this, put up a sign that says door unlocked, but nothing valuable is inside. And you leave your door unlocked and you just leave nothing of value in your car. Now the homeless person may still go in there and decide to shoot up heroin or 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 take a dump, or, uh, or, or or urinate all over the place, or whatever. Or sometimes, and I've seen this too, there's a sign that says, door unlocked, but nothing valuable inside. And they say, well, screw you for leaving nothing valuable inside, and they smash the window anyway. But the point is, all of that aside, what I'm saying is people get what they voted for. So Pennsylvania wants to vote to have the whole state look like uh, Kensington Street in Philadelphia, then let them have it. I mean, you, you can't keep saving people from themselves. We can't keep saving suburban women from themselves when they vote blue. And then lo and behold, there's some transvestite clown uh, reading Satanist literature to their children in school. I mean, you know, save the children. But I mean, you know, in terms of it's like, what are we going to do? I mean, at, at what level do I have to sit here and perform? It's like the Republicans are, are it's like we, we sit there fretting. We're like, okay, well, uh, maybe if we position it about family values, when we say there shouldn't be the trannies in school, uh, then they'll not put the trannies in school. You know, maybe that's more uh, digestible for those moderate voters who we're pretending are somehow moderate. I mean, California voted against gay marriage in 2008, something like that. I mean, we're pretending people are moderate who are not in any way moderate. Frankly, Republicans would be considered too far left for the Democrat Party. Most Republicans today could not run in a Democratic primary in 2008 or before because they're way too far left on social issues today. It's like, oh, you know, maybe what we need to do is team up and we need to frame this as, uh, you know, a a battle between uh, uh, pocketbook issues, good economics, as opposed to Biden inflation and then we sneak in the social part about uh, don't molest the children with uh, awful uh, pornographic literature in kindergarten. Huh? It's like it's at some point if the country's going to go down that path, folks, you just lock down, you homeschool your kids, you do whatever you can to stay afloat economically, and you have to just let that, you have to just let those ships burn. If that's what they're going to do. And, and, and what I'm saying is that Fetterman is the bellwether for that. He is the bellwether for that. So buckle up, folks. If you're in Pennsylvania, of course, you have to 
I don't need to tell you to vote. You have to vote. I mean, I don't know. What, what, am, I, what am I saying here? It's obvious. I don't like to tell you the obvious if I can avoid it. Save my voice. Save myself the laryngitis. But nonetheless, uh, thank you for Kensington Ave. Yes, thank you for joining me here. I'm going to go through the chat here, make sure I didn't miss anything, uh, a few questions. Um, you know, so the fact is that 70% of people don't have an inner monologue. I don't I don't think that's true, um, but it could be. What is that called again? I, I It's called... Um, Something plasia. I, I'm thinking of the name. It's a condition where people don't have any inner voice at all. Um, voting is consenting. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's see here. Jacob Bull 2028. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what, what happens. We'll see how many tickets I'm even allowed on by then or that any Republican is even allowed on by then. Um uh, I'm doing my best here on the lobbying side, folks. That's my day job. I'm a registered lobbyist here in D.C. at Berkman Associates. Uh, frankly, I probably have more impact in that regard than I can have as an actual voting member of Congress in many ways. But thanks, guys. Thanks for watching uh, here live on YouTube and for tuning in uh, on podcast apps everywhere. Share the links. You can uh, contribute financially, Real Jacob Bull on Cash App or jacobbull.org slash podcast. But most importantly, like I said, share the show and let's grow this audience and get it out there. Uh, who knows? In a best case scenario, maybe I will even be back on Twitter soon. Maybe we will be back on Twitter soon with one of the most dominant accounts on the whole platform. Well, uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for watching. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll see you Monday, 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern time right here live on YouTube and shortly after on all the podcast apps. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Monday.